Chris. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, you can do better than that, can't you? It is a good morning. You're alive. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Hey. Uh, well, we're glad that you're here today. We're in uh, uh, week number eight of our summer series on looking at uh, the story of Moses. And today we're going to look at a familiar story that's in Exodus chapter 32. And uh, we kind of hit on one aspect of this a few weeks ago, but we're going to look at it kind of in a different way uh, today. And uh, so it'll come up on the side screens, and uh, you can uh, follow along with me. So let's go ahead and pray. The scripture here, it says, When the people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come make gods for us, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to him, Take off your Aaron said to them, Take off your gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. This morning, uh, there was a uh, young man that's a part of our church. Uh, His mom is Cindy Smith, some of you may know, and his name is Tony. And he was killed in a motorcycle accident this morning. And uh, I told the family that we would uh, pray for them. And uh, also, I think about the the pain of so many uh, Norwegian families uh, this morning and what they must be going through. And um, sometimes, you know, as a church, we just need to pray. And uh, so let's do that now. Well, Father, uh, we don't know why things happen the way that they do. But God, we know that right now that there are hearts that are heavy in the country of Norway and um, especially in the Smith family. And so, Lord, we just uh, ask right now that your mercies that are new every morning that, God, your mercy would fall in a powerful way on those hundred or so folks in Norway and now probably more and thousands of family members in a whole country, God, who is trying to understand that. And for someone, God, to somehow attach your son Jesus to any of this, God, we, we deny it. And we pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit 
that God, you would um, touch the people in that country who may see you differently. God, would your church rise up and would you show your love and your mercy and your power through the church in that country. And God, we pray for the Smith uh, family this morning. I can't even imagine what Cindy and Ron are going through, but God, we're their family and we want to be there for them. And so, God, we pray right now that uh, you would receive Tony into your arms and that for, to- that for uh, Ron and Cindy, God, that um, in a real way, that your mercy and the way that we can reach out to them, God, that we would be the church to them. Um, so, Lord, now come teach us. We look at this story of a golden calf, God, and would you help us to grow into a knowledge of you so that when we leave this place, we really would be different people of who reigns in our life. So come now through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, so that your name would be made great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it had been 40 days and 40 nights since Moses uh, had come and been with the people. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He meets with God. He receives commandments, including the Ten Commandments. And the people are at the bottom of this mountain, and they are very impatient. But just a few chapters before this, we find out that they were not impatient at all. They stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, patiently worshiping, thanking this great God who had delivered them. And look at what it says in chapter 19. Just a few chapters before what we read. It said, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Moses would speak to God, and God would answer him in thunder. And then look at the people's response that they give just in a couple more chapters, in chapter 24. They're experiencing God's presence, and this is what they say. The people said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will what? Do. Now what happened in just these few short chapters? I mean, the people had gone from, God, whatever you want from us, whatever you want us to do, just say the word and we'll do it. To chapter 32, who cares about God and Moses and all that? We want another God. Somebody build this golden calf. It's our idol. You see, the people had believed that Moses had been gone for such a long period of time that God's presence had actually left them. And the result was that their faith had decreased. I mean, it seemed as if this God of the universe had left. That He had walked away. That He had abandoned His people. 
And they couldn't fill him anymore. They couldn't find him anymore. They couldn't see anything that was going on in his life. And so they turned themselves to an attachment called the golden calf. Have you ever felt like that in your life before? That somehow God had left you? That God had abandoned you? That He had walked away? I have. I think everyone who is serious about a relationship with God has felt sometimes that God just isn't there. And I just wonder, when you've ever felt like that before, have you ever felt tempted to kind of move away from God and get attached to something else, to focus in on something else other than God? Well, if you have, like me, you are guilty of idolatry. I mean, in times of fear and stress and grief and anxiety, it's easy to turn away from God and turn towards any attachment that will fulfill our satisfaction in that moment. You see, folks, the truth is, you and I have a golden calf. In fact, some of us might say, man, i got a whole herd of golden calves, you know. It's not just one. But because some of us in this place call ourselves Christians, and some of us are seeking right now, but we're here at church, people from the outside world look at Christians or churchgoers, and they say, oh, they would never have any idols whatsoever. So what we simply do is we go through most of our life trying to mask ourselves, from letting anyone know that there are times in which we turn to idols, and so we try to mask and hide it. Now let me ask you this question. Was it the hell-bent heathen pagans who built the golden calf, or was it God's people? Who was it? It was God's people. God's anger burned towards His people because they gave into this idol. Now, there are dozens of idols that Christians sometimes turn to. I want us to look at five this morning, and then I want to look at a few remedies of how to get beyond those idols. And here's the first one. The first golden calf, you might say, is the idol of materialism. The idol of materialism. Folks, we are surrounded by money and the accumulation of wealth. In fact, if you would, I'd like you to pull out your uh, wallet for a second, or if you have a purse with a wallet inside that, go ahead, pull it out. And I'd like you to pull out one of these, whether it's a dollar bill, a $5 bill, a $10 bill. See, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing, okay? So get it, hold it up once you get it. And you know, you don't have to be rich, folks, to, um, you don't have to be rich to have the idol of materialism in your life. In fact, you can be poverty stricken and you can say, if I just had a little bit more of these, my life would be perfect. If 
I just had a little bit more of this, everything would be okay. Because no matter what your financial situation is, we are all bombarded with materialism. It comes across on the Internet, on Facebook, catalogs, junk mail, TV, billboards, radio. And materialism is very seductive. Now, if you would, what I'd like you to do with your uh, dollar or $5 or $10, I know most of you are too cheap to pull out a 20, so uh, we're not expecting that. Ah, look at this. Oh, there's a couple. Look at that. If you would, turn it on the back side, and on all of these bills, it'll say the United States of America, and then underneath that is four words. What are those four words? And God we trust. Just four little words. Why do you think people in our government, when they decided to make money, that they put those four words on this bill? Because when this bill is in your hand, you are most tempted not to trust in God. I mean, nothing competes with God more than money. So the next time that you spend one of these bills, I would encourage you to turn it over to look at that in God we trust and ask yourself, who do I ultimately put my trust in? You know, it's very hard for us, folks, to surrender this because the question is, do you hold it or does it have a hold on you? So as a little baby surrender step right now, I'd like you to take whatever you have and pass it to the person to the right of you, okay? So I'm going to do this. And now we're going to take an offering, and I'd like you all to give extravagantly, okay? No, I'm just... If you want, you can take your money back later, okay? Some people aren't giving it up. I got a 20. I'm not giving a one, you know. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, that's cute. That's when you wish we had it videotaped, you know what I mean? And then we keep it. A little person just came and gave me my dollar back. So those of you that will listen to this will know. Well, you know what? I want to encourage you today to make this what I call enough day. Today can be a holiday for you. It's called enough day. And what you simply can say today is that right now, my home, my car, my possessions, my salary, my lifestyle, it's enough. I don't need more for it to be better. And you don't have to compete with the Joneses today. You know what you can say today to the Joneses? You win! The Joneses win. All of us, you go home today losers, but the Joneses win. But eternally, you go home as a winner. Jen and I have uh, some friends who recently uh, built a new house. It took them about two years to build it. And um, now is it to say that someone who builds a new house has the God of materialism? Absolutely not. But for this um, couple, uh, 
you would have to say yes. It took them about two years to build their home. And the first two years, they were consumed in every conversation, in their time, in their attention, in their money with their house. In fact, this was interesting to me. Before they built their house, they built a pole barn to house all of their stuff. And so they left the stuff in the pole barn until they built the house. And then once they built the house, they took all the stuff that was in the pole barn into the house. But now the pole barn was empty, so they had to go out and they bought tractors and toys and other stuff, and they filled the pole barn back up. But that wasn't enough to make this just right. So they built a pond in front of their house. And the pond was great and it was wonderful. But you can't have a pond that isn't stocked with fish. So they went and they spent thousands of dollars to stock the thing with fish. And in those couple of years, I don't think there was a conversation that my wife Jennifer and I had with them that didn't center around that house. And you know what? Before the house, they connected with God, they were regularly connecting with the church that they were a part of, but since the pole barn was built, they have rarely ever come back. You see, folks, it's always the next thing for them, and it is the God of materialism. Psalm 106 revisits the story of the golden calf, and look what it says. It says, The people made a calf, At Mount Sinai, they bowed before an image of gold. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating ox. Now to me and to you, it's crazy for us to read that and go, what? They had the presence of God. They had experienced God. They had witnessed His His Spirit. And yet the reality is, is that the God of materialism, it's never an even exchange with the God of materialism. The God of materialism is a cheat, a cheater. And you will always lose at the end of the day. Because what you do is, you trade in something that is eternal, your relationship with God, with something that is temporary, which is stuff. Jesus put it this way, you cannot serve both God and money. So the question this morning for you is which God will you serve? Here's the second kind of golden calf that we turn to, and it is the idol of winning or success. The idol of winning or success. Now this idol is not so much about money or the collection of things, but it is about power and control. It's always about, where am I going to get my next win? It is about competition. It's about winning at all costs. Now, I had a little bit harder time kind of putting this all together because the reality is I could give you an illustration, um, for instance, about this guy. Look at the screens. Charlie Sheen. It's about winning! I win here and I win there and I win everywhere. And it's about winning with me. I'm a winner. I have my two goddesses. Actually, he just has one. Now, you know the one kind of left him. So, 
And it's all about winning. And that winning leads to a dead end because there's no director that really wants anything to do with him. Or I could tell you about this guy, the Donald. And I could tell you that his whole life was about acquisitions and how much he could accumulate and gain more power. Or I could tell you about this guy that's recently in the news, uh, Rupert Murdoch, who did all kinds of illegal activity to try to get stories on folks. You see, but this is the problem with any of those illustrations. And it's this. That we can look at those people and we can say, that's on me. And God kind of like lets us off the hook. Because what happens is we don't use the same ruler. We use a ruler and we're like, that's not me. And God says you're using the wrong ruler. You don't have to be extreme in winning or success for it to become an idol in your life. In fact, it's happened to me. It happens to a lot of pastors, actually, who pastor churches. And C.S. Lewis warns this, with materialism, you just want a lot. With the person who battles winning and success, the issue is about always wanting more. Nothing is ever enough for those who focus on winning or success. It's always about one more thing that they can gain. You see, the person who worships simply has uh, two different scores. Win or lose. At any cost. However, they never ask these questions. When I'm stripped away from my wins, who am I? What does it matter if I'm successful? Why do I have to have this God competing against me? Some of us have bowed our heads to the altar of winning and success. Even some of us here in the church. And sometimes what we do is we even want to be around people who are successful or winning, and we bow our heads to them. Now, I know what's happening right now. Some of you are feeling pretty cocky right now, and you're like, I don't have either one of those. Well, we got three more, okay? Here's the third golden calf. It is the idol of myself or my body. The idol of myself or my body. This is kind of the God of me, myself, and I. Now, this idol takes different forms in different ways. For some of this, this is uh, what I call the comfort-leisure person. Somebody who they just live for the weekend. Some of you, maybe this is you or you know somebody at work. Monday morning comes and they're like, man, I can't wait for the weekend. It's Monday. Or the person who can't wait for retirement. They're like 35 and they're like, man, I can't wait till I retire. This is the person who lives every day to get home to watch television or to get on Facebook and to just kind of veg out. Maybe to play golf all the time or to recreate in some other way. It's all about pleasure seeking for themselves and trying to remove the hard stuff and work in life to just get what I want. It's about substances sometimes that alter our moods like alcohol or drug abuse. The reason we do that is because we're only thinking of ourselves and what I can have. Others of us worship ourselves, uh, but it takes a little different form. It's like this. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the greatest of them all? 
And you can look at people's closet and their clothes and their outward appearance and the designer stuff that they wear. Or it can be the person who is a fanatic about going to the gym and working out and pumping up and getting big. Now, uh, Derek, our worship leader, I have permission to tell this story, by the way. Derek works out about five to six times a week. He's pretty buff. At least that's what Mikey, our media guy, tells me all the time. (laughs) And a month ago or so, we were sharing, and Derek came in, and he, he just started kind of confessing. He said, you know what, I really feel like the gym and my workouts have become my God. He said, I feel discouraged, I get angry, I get upset if I don't get the workout in the first thing in the morning. And it just ruins my whole day. And he said, I finally had to ask myself, is this really becoming a God? And he said it was. It felt like it was becoming an idol. And so now he's kind of changed his whole routine. And I'm very proud of him. But the very first thing that he does is uh, he spends time with God. Um, And that's his time. Plus, it's kind of allowed me to work out five to six times a week now. <laughs> and Mikey told me uh, this week, in fact, he goes, dude, you're starting to get buff, you know. And, all right. See, my wife isn't even here to defend me. She's helping with the kids. So, Well, others of you, what you do is you spend tons of energy or time to stay young. You work on the bags and the sags. And you have this preoccupation with gray hairs and wrinkles, and it's all about your outward appearance. Cosmetics and physical fitness and plastic surgery is a multi-billion dollar industry. And folks, it's not just happening from non-Christians. There are many of us that fall into it too. Now, is it wrong to work out? Is it wrong to uh, you know, go out and play a round of golf? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to buy a tube of mascara? Is it wrong to uh, help with the gray that's in your hair? No. But there is a point, and you all know, because you've seen it in yourself or other people, where you cross the line. And that thing, whatever it is, with your body or with yourself, begins to consume you. And it becomes the focus rather than God. And it's always built upon fear. A fear that I'm not enough, I've got to become something more, rather than having your identity in Christ and saying, you know what, I'm His. Here's the fourth golden calf. This is the golden calf of relationships. The golden calf of relationships. There can often be someone in our lives in which if we're not careful, we begin to revere or we worship. I mean, in the deepest levels of uh, marriage sometimes, there should still be a deeper hunger for a relationship with God than there is with your spouse. There should be a loneliness within your life that no one else can fill except God Himself. Now, I adore my I adore my wife. In fact, uh, yesterday, we celebrated 17 years of marriage. And, uh, thanks. I know some of you are like, where's Jennifer? Let's clap for her, you know. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if I ever worship her, folks, I cross a line that is unacceptable. And there are Christian marriages in which sometimes people put their husband or their wife, they put their spouse before the things of God. And it's wrong. Other marriages find themselves in a tough spot, and sometimes what they do is they romanticize how wonderful it would be if they were in a relationship with someone else. Now, they would never cross that line, or so they say, but they'll look at someone in the church. I see this all the time. There's a woman who looks at a guy in church, and they're like, oh, he treats his wife so well, and he's so great. And all of a sudden, there's all these thoughts that start going through their head. Or it happens the other way. There's a guy, and he looks, he's like, wow, look at that woman. She's never nagging or doing this stuff, and, and, you know, she's such a godly woman. And they start to romanticize, and it's wrong. I think maybe one of the most hidden relationships that we sometimes idolize uh, is our children. I know uh, some young families who simply worship their kids. I know a couple in particular, again, that I have never had a conversation with this couple in which they weren't telling me about their kids and their successes and how wonderful and awesome they are. And many parents, what they do is, to make them even better, they put them on traveling teams and all-star teams and camps and dance competitions and on and on and on. And are any of those things wrong by themselves? No. But when those things become the most important activity of the home, that's an idol, folks. And the idol has become the kids' activities. And this is what's going to happen. Guaranteed. That it won't affect them now, but when they're 18, 19, 20 years old, and they have no spiritual foundation whatsoever, their playing days and their dance days and all of that is over. And they'll be left with an idol but they'll be searching for the true God. Now, some of you are single. And any time you put a relationship rather than God, you're worshiping a golden calf. Others of you are single, and you're not even in a relationship right now, but you are just wishing for one. And you say, well, once I get this relationship right, then I'll give my life to God. And folks, that's not the way it works. Because in the waiting time, what you're tempted to do is fantasize of something else. When I find this person, then I'll give my full attention to God. Some of you are in relationships in which you have crossed a line sexually before you're married. Because you idolize that person so much in your life that you don't want to lose them. And God says, you have left Mount Sinai and you're worshiping a golden calf. Folks, the expectation on every relationship is that there cannot be any relationship that is greater than your relationship with God. Here's the final kind of idol. It's the golden calf of religion. The golden calf of religion. Now let me share with you what I'm saying and what I'm not saying here. When we begin to worship religion and not a God, we can easily begin to have an addiction to doing things for God more than being in a relationship with God. 
You see, when Jesus came to earth, he found some people who were the religious leaders of his day. They were called Pharisees, and they were worshiping the laws. They were worshiping the things, the doing things, but they weren't necessarily worshiping the one behind the law, the lawgiver, God himself. Now, people who come dangerously close to worshiping the God of religion, the reason they do is because they want to feel affirmed and needed and accepted rather than being transformed. Do you understand that there's a very big difference from being accepted and affirmed and needed than there is being transformed? They get joy from people valuing them rather than being dependent upon God. So they get involved in tons of religious activity and they find a peace there rather than in a relationship with him. It's the pastor's wife who says that my husband's mistress is the church. It's the husband or wife who's doing something for the church six days a week because they have a bad marriage. And there have been times in my life, folks, in which I have worshipped the God of religion. The first church I ever pastored, for me, it was, about all, it was all about religious activity the first two years. I was going to be the preacher pleaser. In other words, what do you need that I can help to please you? And I would do whatever it, I, it was that I could do. I was doing all kinds of things. But what I didn't realize was I was bowing my head to the God of religion. Until one day, there were sirens that were coming down a road, and I saw some ambulances and uh, some police cars that were going down. And I'm sitting on my porch, and I see them go to our neighbor's house, which was a couple doors down. These were the neighbors whose kids would play rock music until 2 in the morning and kept me up. These were the neighbors who had these wild parties all the time. These were the neighbors who would smoke cigarettes for some reason in the church parking lot and flip their buds. And I would be out there cleaning it up. And so I watched all these police cars and uh, ambulances go down to this uh, house. And you know what I did? I got off the porch swing, I opened the door, and I went right into my house. The next day, I got a phone call from one of our neighbors who also was uh, kind of disconnected from God. And she said, last night Maria's husband Ivan took his life in front of the kids and in front of her. Could you go down and encourage them? And I'm, I'm still ashamed of this 15 years later, but it's a true statement. When she said those things, this is what I said. My schedule's pretty busy today. Let me see what I can do. You see, folks, I had become a religious leader. A Pharisee. In the story of the Good Samaritan, where a guy is beaten and people walk by, and they're all religious folks, the first two at least, they walk around him, and that's who I was. Because I had become so busy doing religion that I had rejected the relationship with God. Well, these are some of the golden calves that we find ourselves worshiping. Now, in our story, you might remember that Moses, he comes down and he sees this, and what happens? He gets ticked off. He takes the calf, he throws it to the ground. He smashes it up. He gets it to a powder 
Then he pours the powder into some water and he makes all of the people drink it. Now, why did he do that? I think he was saying, if you think this golden calf will satisfy your hunger and your thirst for life, then go ahead and drink it. Eat it. And after they did, he's like, did it satisfy you? You know, the story of the golden calf is revisited almost more than any other story in the Bible. And in particular, we find one in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul, uh, a guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, he comes back to Christians now and he says, do you remember the story of the golden calf and how they turned to an idol? And he said, you are guilty of turning to an idol as well. And then in verse 13, it's the most quoted scripture verse I think there is, but it's also one of the most misinterpreted that there is. It says this, No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you can be able to endure it. And then verse 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Many Christians turn to this passage of Scripture constantly when people are going through suffering. And they'll say, now don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle. And the subtext is kind of like this. Man! God must think very highly of you to give you all of this suffering. And then the second subtext is this. Man, I'm so glad that God doesn't think that highly of me. But friends, this verse, when they focus in on suffering, they take it out of context. It's not talking about suffering. It's talking about temptation. And God's promises is that every time that you're tempted to turn to an idol, He says that I will give you a way out. So real quickly, let me give you three ways out. Three remedies. Here's the first one. Don't allow the altar to be built in the first place. Don't allow the altar to be built in the first place. Look at what it says in verse 14 again. It says, flee. What's the word again? Flee. In other words, Flee from my, not fleas like in your bed or something like that. It's talking about flee to get away, to get out of here. So when you sense the bricks are being built up, when you sense that cement is being mixed to put it all together, you can stop and you can say, I can flee right now. You see, we get it mixed up. Sometimes this is what happens. The issue, folks, is not about the grip that the idol has on us. It's about the grip that we have on the idol. And it has to be loosened from us first. So when the first bricks are going up, the first thing you need to do is to find another Christ follower who you trust, who you're encouraged by, who you know will not just rip you, but will be truthful with you, and to tell them, hey, I'm falling into the trap. I need some help. And when the idols begin to win, you need to wrap yourselves around the Christian community rather than turning to excuses or rationalization. I have a friend myself who, uh, when I start turning to some idols, I go to him. Now, this is what's so great about this friend. He never tells me what I want to hear. 
He tells me the truth. Sometimes the truth is encouragement. Sometimes is the truth a bunch. Flee. Get away. And I value that friendship more than any other. And some of you need some truth tellers in your life. And if you don't have any, I would strongly encourage you to get connected to a small group. When this fall comes and we start new ones, you just make a commitment today that I'm going to make that commitment. Because in a small group or on Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights, they're the healthiest people because they have truth tellers in their life. Everybody else is going to tell you, oh man, yeah, 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 pat you on the back. And then at 65, when you're retiring, you're like, I don't have any truth tellers. Here's the second thing. Replace the idol with God. Replace the idol with God. Now, this is not a one-time deal. You just don't do it once. You're going to have to do it over and over again. Idols have a way of coming back into our lives. That's why over and over in the Scripture it says, you will be tempted to worship idols. I love the last song that we sang, the hymn that was connected to that. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely, what? Dim in the light of his glory and grace. I love that hymn and I love those words because it reminds us that if we keep our eyes focused solely on Christ, all of a sudden, all the other things will become blurry and dim. All the other idols will fall away compared to the brightness of God's love. So where do I go for that to happen? How do I get connected to replace that? It's here, folks. That's why making a non-negotiable commitment to be here on every Sunday that you can, that you're not sick or in an emergency or on vacation or gone to be here. It's just plain and simple. You know why? Because our memories fail. My memory's horrible. And I'm only 40. We come here to remember and to remind it that there is a God, a one true God, and only He and He alone can be worshipped. I mean, where else are you going to be reminded to remember, don't have other idols in your life. Just focus on the one true God into Jesus' eyes. You going to find that at work? No. You going to find it on Facebook? (laughs) People, that's a loud no over there. Are you going to find it watching television? No, only here. Look at what Psalm 106 says again. Remember, it tells us they exchanged a glorious God for a grass-eating cow. But look at the next verse. Why did they do it? It says they what? They forgot God, their Savior, who had done such great things in Egypt. They just forgot. I mean, they thought that since Moses had delayed and he wasn't there anymore, that God must have walked away because they didn't feel His presence. They didn't experience His presence. And God is there and God cares even when we can't feel Him. That's why coming here is so important. Because then we're reminded that He is always with us. Here's the last remedy. To overcome adultery, it is to ask for forgiveness and cleansing in your heart. Today, I want you to know that God will always forgive you. 
no matter what the idol is, no matter what the thing is that you have turned to, God is willing to forgive. In fact, the Bible says this, and you know, this would be a scripture I would encourage all of you to memorize. And it's this. First John says, But if we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. Every time we turn back to Mount Sinai and say, God, please forgive me for turning to this idol, whatever it is, God, I know that that will not satisfy me, so I'm turning to that. He always says, you're forgiven, you're loved, I don't count it against you. I'd like us to close today by singing about the one true God, the only God, no other idol. So that when we leave from this place today, we would know that there is no other idol that we turn to except the one true God. So I'd like you to stand, and um, Derek's going to lead us in a song. And this may be corny. I'm just going to say it up front, okay? But I think it might be really cool, too. I'd like you to put your hands out like this for a second, okay? And what I'd like you to do is to think whatever the idol is in your life that maybe you've been turning to too much. Maybe it is Facebook. Maybe it is television. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it is, you know, whatever that is. Materialism, a relationship. One of those five things I have a feeling that you've turned to. What I'd like you to do is just right now to like, throw it down. Okay? So it just kind of fake me. Throw it down. Okay? And whether it's materialism or winning or a relationship or religion, whatever it is, maybe it's yourself or your body image, whatever it is, we throw it down today and we worship the one true God.
God, we just need to come and let you know, God, that you are the God who reigns in our life. And today, God, we throw down the the golden calf of materialism and the golden calf of winning or success, the golden calf of ourselves, the golden calf of relationships, the golden calf of even religion, God. And we want you to know that in this place called the jar, God, that you and you alone are the one that reigns. It's not about me. It's not about Derek. It's not about the band. It's not about all those things, God. It is about you. And so throughout this week, God, would you reveal to us how we can make you reign and how we can love the people around you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.